previous three weeks, or for the whole of March, we've been going through this series called Our House. And uh, we've been looking at the DNA that Elam has in New Zealand, the Elam Churches of New Zealand. And um, the specific DNA that we have right throughout the Elam movement, these DNA, they are the building blocks and of our behavior, of our character. These DNA make up our house. They are the markers that clearly say, we are family, you are home, this is your house. Two weeks ago, Julian taught that uh, nine, for all of us, we are 99% the same. In actual fact, I understand that uh, human bodies or humans and pumpkins share 70% similarity. Could answer a lot of questions. But anyway, um, human beings, we are 99% the same, but it's in that 1% difference. That's where the glorious majesty of God's creativity comes in. And it only needs 1% and he makes us all different. What are some of those differences? Now, this could come as a bit of a surprise for you. Most of you know this. We all have a unique fingerprint. We all have a unique eye print. But were you aware that we have a unique ear print? And don't ask me how I f- they found this out, but we have a unique tongue print as well. And I couldn't find a nice, non-ugly picture of a tongue to put on the slide, so that's why there's not one up there. But when you think about these four unique differences... I just am really excited because each of these mean that each of us have a unique touch or reach. Each of us have a unique ability to see and a unique vision. Each of us have a unique ability to hear sound, the ability to hear something and to create sound. And then with regards to the tongue, each of us have a unique word or declaration or a language. And it only needs 1%. And we have this beautiful uniqueness. You know, We've been talking about the DNA of Elam. You know, we invite people, we welcome as family, that we are relevant, and we're looking at number four today. You know, the church is vast and it's varied, and each church has its unique qualities. And why we wanted to really go into these DNA for Elam is because we want you to understand that if God, if you are sure in your hearts that God has planted you in Elam, then with this Elam DNA, you are home, that you are whanau, that you are family and we share a common DNA. See, it's really special that we understand that God actually plants us, that we have a home that God puts us in. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 10, it says this, And I will provide a homeland for my people Israel, planting them in a secure place where they will never be disturbed. Evil nations won't oppress them as they have done in the past. You know, if you look up, look, look at the makeup of God's people, it's a really interesting thing. Yes, we, we know there is the church, okay? There's the universal church that right across the world. Let's just take this back to how God created his nation. He started with a kingdom, the kingdom of Israel. Within that kingdom, there were tribes. Within each tribe, there were clans. And then within each clan, there were families. And each were related because they had common DNA. And you know what? The church models this. The church models this. If I could, actually, if I could take a little bit of uh, Bailey's, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab that jar, Bailey, and I'm going to put jet planes in my pocket. No, I'm not. If we take Bailey's Twix prayer, the big one, this is, this is the kingdom. This is the kingdom of God, okay? 
If we take the jet planes, I won't finger all these ones because they're not wrapped. But if we take the jet planes, that's like the, the tribes within the kingdom. And then what are the white ones, Bailey? Bites, like chocolate bites or something. Okay, then there's, there's the chocolate bites in there. So we've got the tribes and we've got the clan, uh, within the tribes, we've got clans. And then everything else smaller than that is like the families. Because you're not, not all tribes and not all families within the kingdom of Israel were the same size. That's like the church. That's a picture of the church. And, and each of us as a church, yes, we, are, we do have common DNA across the church, but it comes down to uniquenesses within the church. So like I said, we're going to look at number four today. Number four, the Elam DNA. As, as a church, we expect breakthrough. So we've looked at, we invite people, we welcome as family, that we are relevant. Number four is we expect breakthrough. So before we go anywhere else, can we just pause? Let's set this before God. Father, come on, let's pray. Lord, you are a good God. You are such a good God. The plans that you have for us are filled with hope. They are for a future, Lord God. You've got a calling upon all of us. And as we look at this today, I pray that you would unlock some things in people's lives, that you would bring revelation. Holy Spirit, the Bible teaches us that you are the spirit of truth, that you are also the one who brings revelation to us. You bring us and remind us of the words of Jesus. I pray that this morning you would bring that revelation, that truth to our minds, to our hearts, to our spirits, that we would know what it is to be able to not just expect breakthrough, but walk into and walk through and see breakthrough break out in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, when I talk about we expect breakthrough, you may immediately think, well, where, where do I fit? Where do I fit in this? Let me just take you back a little bit. Let me lay a bit of a foundation here. In the Bible times, <clears throat> generally, back in the, the Middle East and things like that, it was only the boys that went to school. Very rare that the girls would go to school. And even in some nations now, that is still the same in the, in, in the Middle East. But the rabbis of the time who were like, they were like the professors in theology, the professors of law and everything. They would go into the schools and they would look across the classroom and they would pick the best of the best of the best. Did you know that Hebrew boys, by the time between the age of five and ten, could quote verbatim the entire Torah? That's the, the Septuagint, the first five books of the Bible, they knew them off by heart. I feel a little challenged right now. But the rabbis would go and they would search out the best of the best of the best to be their disciples. If you dig into theology, when, where it says in the scriptures where Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. When a student, when a disciple took on the teaching of a rabbi, if we dig into that, it literally means that the student or the disciple was taking on the rabbi's yoke. And so if a student was going to start to follow a rabbi's teaching, they were yoked to that rabbi. So when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, he's saying, take my teachings. Take my teachings upon you. They are different to the old rabbinical law. They're not heavy. They're not wearisome. This is about life and hope and purpose. But what's really fascinating is, who did Jesus pick for his disciples? He didn't go to the schools. 
He went into the marketplace. He went to the lakeshore. He went and he saw a couple of brothers fishing. He saw another couple of brothers cleaning nets. He went into the marketplace and he saw a tax collector. These are the guys that the rabbis of the synagogue overlooked. He would choose the ones that the rabbis ignored. Let's think about some of them. Let me just give you four different examples of some of the disciples that Jesus chose. Peter, we know Peter. Peter had foot and mouth disease. He would open mouth, insert foot, and get it wrong many times. Then there was James and John. They were referred to as the sons of thunder. Now, we're not entirely sure why. I don't think they had a digestive problem, but they were impetuous and they were ambitious. I mean, these two guys, they got their mum to ask Jesus if they could sit either side of his throne. (laughs) That's a little bit sort of um, self-important, isn't it? Then there was Simon. Now, Simon's really interesting. Simon was referred to as a zealot. In Bible times, a zealot is someone who wanted to use violence to overthrow the Roman army. Today, they would probably be called a domestic terrorist. And then there was Thomas. Oh, my namesake. (laughs) Did you know Thomas was every pastor's nightmare? He refused to believe anything that was said, and he was always negative. (laughs) I've done everything I can to break that. (laughs) But you know what? He chose them. If it's true that God's power is made perfect perfect in our weakness, like the Apostle Paul teaches, then that means, that has to mean that God's power is not made perfect in our strength. Let's think about that. Why would that be the case? You know what? I would suggest this morning that if we know our weakness and we know God, we know Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior, then I would suggest that if we are very aware of our weakness and we know Jesus, then we will trust fully in his strength. Because it's him. I mean, what's that word of God that we quote so many times in the church through Zechariah? It's not through might or power, but by, see if I can hear it all over town, but by my spirit, says the Lord. This is so awesome. This is so incredibly awesome. You know what it means? It means we don't need to be completely whole or completely mature. Thank you, Jesus. We don't need to know the Bible back to front to back, back to front, left to right. We don't need to know all of that and have all those boxes ticked before he can use us. God can use you now. And as we walk with him and he walks with us, all of those things that we want to work on and all those things that he points out to us and said, I'd like to work on that with you. He can do that on the way. He'll do that on the way. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 27 through 29 says this. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. Now, the Bible tells us in Genesis how we were made in God's image and likeness. It repeats this in the New Testament, explaining that actually we were made, we were created in the image of Jesus himself. So when we think about this, that means that we were created to be like Jesus in our world. 
So if you think of our vision mission statement that we've got on the wall over here, bringing the life, hope, and purpose of Jesus into our world, and I know that you will have heard this, there is a very, very high possibility that you will be the closest thing to Jesus people meet initially. Pretty heavy job description, eh? (laughs) But it's possible. It's a daunting task. And we might think, how on earth am I going to live up to that? You know what? On our own, we can't. We just simply can't. But this, oh my goodness. Let me just take a pause and breathe. This is where we can expect breakthrough. This is where the Holy Spirit comes in. When Jesus ascended to heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't only just convict us and cleanse us of sin or give us a relationship with Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit fills us with the life and the power of God in order to make us more like Jesus, in order to help us be like Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthians. Chapter 6, verse 11, it says this. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The Bible says, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And at the point of salvation, the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence in our hearts. Just come on, let's just pause for a second and let's just give this a bit of a a bit of uh, marinating time. Let it percolate in your spirit. Consider this: as a believer in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Spirit of the risen Christ. Jesus, the anointed one, the spirit that raised him from the grave, indwells, is resident within you this very moment, giving you access to the fullness of God's power. You are a carrier of the presence and the power of God. One thing extra needs to be considered here. We are not a Swiss bank account or a safety deposit box for the power of God. We are an open transaction account for deposits and withdrawals. And not just withdrawals, but also to generously give of the things and the power and the anointing of Christ. This is where the scriptures teach with the laying on of hands. Those who lay hands on the sick, they shall recover. Why? Because there is a a withdrawal of the anointing of Christ within you and a deposit of the anointing of Christ in them for healing. Why is this so critical for us to understand? Because God's spirit resident in you. I need you to get this. I'm... It's coming up on the slide. God's spirit resident in you is his checkmate to Satan's influence in your life. This is why the apostle John wrote in 1 John chapter 4 verse 4 that the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Greater is he who is in me 
That is the Holy Spirit of God. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Who is he in the world? That is Satan. That is the devil himself. God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit resident within you is God's checkmate to Satan's influence. So the fourth part of our Elam DNA, as a church we expect breakthrough. I want you to think every miracle is a breakthrough. Every answered prayer is a breakthrough. Every little M&M's or Tic Tac prayer or Twix bar prayer is a breakthrough. Every soul saved is a monumental breakthrough. In actual fact, the scriptures say, for every soul that gives their life to Christ, there's a party in heaven. Every act of forgiveness is a breakthrough. I'm going to take you a little bit further back in history now. When God set his people free, from slavery in Egypt, 400 years of slavery in Egypt. That was a breakthrough on an epic scale that had never been seen before. They traveled, they crossed the Red Sea, and now they're in the desert. They traveled for three days without fresh food or water, and they came to a, to an, a stagnant, undrinkable pool, which they named Mara. Now, the name Mara means bitterness, it means angrily chafed <laughs> and discontented. I, you know what? Three days in the desert heat and the sand getting in between your toes and in other places we won't talk about, I think I would be angrily chafed and very discontented. God healed those waters and then it says in the book of Numbers, in the Old Testament, Numbers chapter 33, verse 9, it says this, they left Mara and went to Elam, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there. Now, we're talking about as Elam, our fourth DNA statement is that we expect breakthrough. I really, really want you guys to get this. When they left a place of bitterness... Mara, and they came to Elam where there were 12 springs and 70 date palms. This is more than just a historical account of great deliverance. It is a picture for us today of what God does for people, God breaks through. You see, God didn't just release the Israelites from 400 years of slavery, He broke them out of. His breakthrough anointing did this He broke them out of their tragic past. He broke the power that abused and tormented them. He broke their physical limitation, uh, limitations. He broke their spiritual intimidation. He broke their fear, their despair, and their lack, and the crippling effect of bitterness. And then they came to Elam. This, why is this so massive? Why am I laboring on this? Why is it significant that they went from a stagnant, undrinkable pool that they called Mara, a place of bitterness, and then came to Elam? Because when they came to Elam, this was the first place in 400 years that they'd ever been welcomed. The first place that they could rest, eat, and drink without fear of the lash. And the first place that they did not have to strive to stay alive. Elam was the first place that they experienced blessing without fear. Are you getting a bit of an understanding why I'm so passionate about Elam? 
I mean, I love other churches. I really, really do. I love them to bits. So we, we should have a kingdom mind and a kingdom heart. But God, it's planted me in Elam. You know what? It was just the beginning. Elam was just the beginning for this nation. It was the beginning of God's breakthrough in his people's lives. And then down throughout the generations, right through to Jesus, to the cross, and through to the generations of the church today, that same heart, that same character, that same behavior of God is existing today. You know, when I made a decision to follow Jesus, initially that was a possibility that God could be true. I mean, I was raised in the church. I'm a, I'm a church brat. Um, my earliest memory, I think as a two-year-old, I, I think that's about as far back as I can get. My earliest memory is going to a pancake breakfast with real maple syrup in the basement of my church that I went to when I was a little kid living in Canada. And I grew up in the church. My family grew up. They, I was raised in the house of God. It didn't mean I had any faith in Jesus. It just meant I went to church. When I was 16 years old, I felt a draw. And I thought, yeah, maybe possibly God could be true. But what changed my life was God's breakthrough power. It broke through. God's power broke through years of fear. I mean, like literally, I'm talking years of, of, I was literally held hostage by a debilitating fear of rejection. I was held hostage by the fear that I would never measure up. Perfection and performance ruled my life. God's breakthrough power broke that in my life. It broke through years of doubt, years of sin, with such undeniable gentleness and love he surely turned my whole life around and gave me another chance. And what was just a possibility became an absolute certainty in my life. It was on 16th of July, 1982, in a little wooden country church in a town smaller than Renwick. I made a decision to open my heart and put my trust in Jesus for the rest of my life. And for the very first time, I can still, if I stop and I think about it enough, I can literally still feel the physical sensation of where for the very first time in my life, I knew life and hope in the deepest of my being. I knew that I was going to be okay. I knew that my life could be filled with purpose in that moment. God has always been about breakthrough. He is the power that changes lives and futures. Bartimaeus was a blind man. He became healed and seen. The broken and destitute widow became the, the CEO of a, an oil distribution company, seller of oil. The woman who was medically and culturally ostracized because of 12 years of bleeding was healed and returned to family and community. The irredeemable prostitute became a personal friend of Jesus. Saul, the violent, persecuting Pharisee, became Paul, the apostle that changed the world. Let's bring it closer to home. George Jeffries, 15 years old, had an encounter with God and went on to plant what is now known as the Elam Church. That church grew and it is now an international church family. 
Elam as a church was born out of breakthrough. It's the same power that saved me, that gave me life, gave me hope, filled me with purpose. This breakthrough power is available to you today. That power this church is built on is the breakthrough power of God, Holy Spirit. The early church grew to expect it. The question is, do we? Here at Elam, we're a church that expects breakthrough. So I'm going to give you four quick application points on how we can develop this expectation of the breakthrough power of God in our lives. First one, genuine worship and relentless prayer. Worship covers a lot of things and is done in many forms. It's not just music and we don't have time to dig into that. But worship, if we dig down to the core of it, is actually about thankfulness and recognition of who God is and honoring Him. Why do I put worship before prayer? Because worship that is genuine, connecting, and honoring leads us to pray in faith. Now, I know there are, there are many times we need to pray a tic-tac prayer. God help. <laughs> that's a tic-tac prayer. In actual fact, for me, there are many times when God help, that's a jet plane prayer because it needs big rockets underneath it. But sometimes out of desperation, we will pray a God, I need you prayer. But prayer that follows worship is a God, I recognize you prayer. And it's a God, I know without a doubt in my heart that you can prayer. So genuine worship and relentless prayer. You know, sometimes we have to push, pray until something happens. We need to pray without giving up, pray without ending. That was such a great, that's such a great uh, devo this morning, Bailey. Thank you. She had no idea what I was teaching on this morning. One time, an example of this in my own personal life, uh, a number of years ago, I went to India um, and for the very first time, I saw a physical, uh, a monumental physical healing take place. We were in a rooftop church service um, in, the, in, the, in the evening. And this is a really interesting church service because all of the speakers that were in that roof, on that rooftop weren't pointing in towards the people on the rooftop. They were pointing out across town. <laughs> so all the singing and all the preaching literally went out off the rooftop. And then we had a time of praying and there was a young girl who was, who was profoundly deaf. And uh, I got asked to pray for her. Initially, I was like, uh, tic-tac prayer, God help. <laughs> Jet praying prayer, God help. <laughs> I prayed for her, nothing happened. Prayed for her again, nothing happened. Prayed for her the third time, and I got to see someone here for the very first time in their lives. It was phenomenal. Genuine worship, relentless prayer. Here's number two. Everyone is a minister. Revelations 1.6 says this. And he has made us to be a kingdom and be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. We're a kingdom of priests. We are a kingdom of ministers. You each, if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are a minister. How can we minister? In what and with what? Well, 
by the gifts of the Holy Spirit. If you don't know what your, if you don't know how you're wired, if you don't know what God has gifted you to work in, then I just want to do a real quick shameless promo for our growth track. Because week three of our growth track is called Discover, because it's how we discover what our gifts, what our calling, what our, our, our passion is in that week three of growth track. So I just want to, if you haven't done growth track yet, you need to. God gave each of us a spiritual gift to serve within the church. And the more time you spend looking on, looking where to and how to serve, the more likely you are to discover what it is that you're gifted to do and where you are to be a minister. 1 Corinthians 12, chapter 12, verse 4, 7 says this, There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. You are a minister. If you want to grow in your ability to expect breakthrough, then you don't get that sitting doing nothing. You gotta do. The Apostle James, faith and works, they go together. Okay, so it's genuine worship, relentless prayer. We serve, we are ministers. Here's the third one. As we genuinely worship and relentlessly pray, looking and to, for somewhere to and to serve, in doing that, we, number three, we believe for miracles. God anoints you with a power when you obey Him in faith. The Scriptures teach us when the Holy One comes, it's the Holy Spirit, He will anoint you with power. We are here to serve God and others expecting breakthrough. Whether you are eight years old or 88 years old, you are a minister and God can work through you with miraculous power. We serve, we ask, we expect, trusting God for the miracle. Ephesians 3.20, very famous, you'll know it as soon as I start to read it. Now all glory to God, who is able through His mighty power at work within us. To accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. His work, his power works within us. So we genuinely worship, we relentlessly pray, we serve as ministers, believing for miracles. Number four, we, are, we, we grow into a fully devoted follower of Christ. The end goal is this, that we become like Jesus that we reach people like Jesus, we influence people, serve people like Jesus, we influence people like Jesus, we have clarity in our life mission like Jesus, and we expect breakthrough like Jesus. It doesn't happen overnight, and it doesn't happen by accident. It is an activated faith. Fully developed followers of Jesus know Him, know His character, know how He breaks through for people. It's called faith. And we walk in it. Will you ask God? Right now, I just want to pause. I want to ask right now, if, if you're in a place, if you're joining us from, actually no, regardless of where you're joining us from today, whether it's local here in Marlborough, another city in New Zealand, another city in another nation in the world, you are welcome. We are so, so grateful that you've joined us today. Thank you. Wherever you are, do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Will you ask Him? Will you come to Him and say, God, I want that in my life. I want to be able to expect the breakthrough power that Pastor Tom's talking about. 
Will you ask him this morning? Will you expect him to honor you asking him? Will you ask him for real? Not just a flippant, ah, you know, you know, God, if you're there, show up, you know. Happy to be proved wrong, you know. Now be real. Be real, be genuine, be relevant, be authentic. Will you ask God? Are you expecting God to fulfill his promises? As we bring this Our House series to an end now, I want to read to you the um, poem that Amber brought in week one called This Is My Church. This is my church. It is composed of people like me. We make it what it is. It will do great work if I work. It will be friendly if I am friendly. Its seats will be filled if I help fill them. We invite people. I will bring other people into its work and fellowship. Oh, sorry, it will bring other people into its work and fellowship if I bring them in. It will make generous gifts to many causes if I'm a generous giver. It will be a church of loyalty and love, of fearlessness and faith, a church of noble spirit, because I, who make it what it is, dedicate myself to the task of being all the things I want my church to be. This is our house. We are a church that invites people. We are a church that welcomes as family. We are a church that is relevant for here and for now. And we are a church that expects breakthrough.